Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Um, so we're working our way through Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink. And at first glance, you might kind of think, well, this isn't much of a spiritual book. Why are, we, uh, why are we reading through this book on brain science and, uh, and how our thinking works? And, uh, uh, of course, I have a, a, a not-so-hidden agenda for you. Uh, and it starts, of course, with Nancy Ashley every week when she says, change your thinking, change your life. But do most of us even know what we're thinking? Do most of us know how to change our thinking? See, there's the trouble. We throw out this, what could be easier than change your thinking and change your whole life? And, and then we pull back on all of the clues that might actually help you be successful for that. So, so this month, we're actually going to be talking a bit about brain science, about where our opinions come from, how we uh, reach uh, judgments and discernments very quickly. Um, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. Last week... Uh, Marilyn talked about our snap judgments are actually as good and in most cases better than our long-term judgments. And so just to catch you up to date, all of the science out there says that you can size up a person and size up a situation in about five seconds and it will be as accurate as if you were with that person for months and days and years. And the same with situations. You can enter into a situation and within about two seconds your gut will tell you whether this is a safe place to be, whether this is a loving place to be, whether this is a place that you feel welcome or not. And you can size that up in about three or four seconds and your, your call on that, your gut feeling, will be true even if you waited longer, even if you waited much longer to make up your decisions. Now, some of you appropriately are wondering, well, what about those snap decisions that are just wrong? Right? Because every now and then, don't we just make a snap decision that is so desperately wrong? <laughs> yeah, we do that. And so today I want to talk about the kind of, if you will, the dark side of this whole ability to use a very short period of time and come up with answers. Because First of all, we're talking about the science, if you will, of our intuition. But how is intuition different from just making a snap judgment? So that's my thesis that we're going to work on today. First of all, in the book it talks about three areas where our brains simply often have errors in them. And so if we believe that it is done to us as we believe, here's three areas that we want to be really careful about because in those three areas, often our thoughts are not even accurate. And the first one, uh, actually, it's called the Warren Harding effect. Now, I know some of you were probably very diligent students in school and recognize that Warren Harding was one of our presidents. In fact, he was the 29th president of the United States right around the, the, the turning of the centuries from the 1800s into the 1900s. But who here knows what he was famous for? Do you know why? Do you know why you don't know what he was famous for? 
because he wasn't famous for a darn thing. He didn't initiate any wonderful things into Congress. He didn't like rebuild the White House. He didn't have uh, any particular policies that were enduring. And in fact, in fact, he's most famous for what we're going to be talking about today, which is the Warren Harding effect. And time for show and tell. This is a picture of Warren Harding. So this was him as he was running for Congress the first time. Go ahead, you can say it. Yeah, he's actually pretty good looking, isn't he? That is what he was famous for. <laughs> that, my friends, is what got him elected, in fact. The newspapers of the day said, oh my gosh, if I have to endure one more of his speeches, it's like his voice, luckily, is appropriately deep and, uh, and a rich and lovely voice, but my gosh, he puts words together like he doesn't know where they're going. <laughs> right? He was also famous, as best we can tell, for probably being the least intelligent of the presidents that we've had. Now, now, uh, now, just a sec, just a sec. I, I know where you're going. I know where you're going. I know where you're going with this. And we're not going there. And of course, they didn't have IQ tests back there. And so, Larry, you know, I could just be blowing smoke your way. But, but based, on, based on a lot of his decisions and things like that, it seemed clear that he really didn't even understand foreign policy and other things like that very well. So what is, so what is the Warren Harding effect and why is it important? It's important because we are like the people who voted for Warren Harding. We make snap judgments just like that and they're accurate but what are they accurate for? See, the trouble is, Warren Harding not only was attractive, he was genuinely a really nice guy. He was genuinely someone you wanted to hang out with. He was uh, great fun to be with, uh, had uh, perhaps too many girlfriends for his stature and, and his place in life. Very, not only attractive in terms of how he looked, but had that kind of charisma thing going. There is nothing wrong with coming to the snap judgment that this guy would be fun to hang out with. But then what do we do with that judgment? Yeah, thank you. We apply it to something that is totally irrelevant. Because he's a nice guy, because I would want to hang out with him, because in an instant I could say, I wouldn't mind being a friend with this person. Then we put him in charge of the finances of the country. Do you see? And we do this kind of thing all the time. We mistake our ability to size up people in one way and think that it means we can apply it in other ways. You know, I was counseling a couple not too long ago, very much in love. I mean, it was sweet to see the two of them together. And it was clear to me 
that their marriage was going to be a difficult one because they're not people who would naturally actually live together. And, and all kinds of friction and stuff between them on lifestyles and how to live and how the house should be and, and, and what's important. Uh, all kinds of major things. Now, does this diminish their love? Do you see the trouble with this? Is we assume that because we love someone, we ought to live with them. I, some of you are giving me this terrible look like you've just discovered something after it's too late. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, and I swear to you, uh, uh, it, it doesn't have to be that way. But, but again, that's the Warren Harding effect. When you find yourself attracted to something or some situation or some person, it's attractive, it's magnetic, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can size that up in a minute. It's what you do with that information. It's making the conclusion then, because this is a nice guy, he should be the babysitter of the kids when I'm gone. Because he's a swell person and I like to hang out with him, he should be my financial planner. Do you see where we get into trouble here? Okay, so how do we get around the Warren Harding effect? The Warren Harding effect just needs to be put in its proper context. So when we're sizing people up on the street, it's basically based on our sense, our accurate picture of how we would be with them in a casual way. Works perfectly great for that. If we want to use our snap judgments in some other way, then we need more information. So how, for instance, might people have handled the Warren Harding issue a little better in their day? Not just uh, seeing pictures of him in the newspaper, but if they had listened to a bunch of his speeches, for instance, they could have come up with an equally good judgment that maybe this isn't the person that I want running the country. Wouldn't mind having him come over for dinner. <laughs> but maybe not the person that I would want running the country. So that's how we get away from, that's how we mitigate the Warren Harding effect, is we don't apply those impulses beyond where they're naturally bent. Okay, so another faulty thinking error that we have is called implicit association errors. And this one is a little bit more complicated, but it's also in some ways more important because this is where things like racism and profiling come from. All right, it's totally done on a subconscious level. Let's say, for instance, you're one of those news hounds that likes watching the TV. So you're watching all the, I don't know, arrests going on and the, they're strapping video cams to, to people right now and stuff like that, right? And on the news you'll often see suspects fleeing and all this stuff. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but it tends to be African-American men that are in those videos most often. Now think about this for a minute feeding into our brain is seeing especially African-American men and violent situations. Now all of us, I, I feel pretty confident that all of us here in this room would not consider ourselves to be prejudiced, but our brain is constantly being fed this message, black danger. And even though we know it's not true, 
even though we counsel ourselves it's not true, even though we have diversity programs, even though we, we try our best to do what we can, believe it or not, it's still in there. And when we make snap judgments, we recall that unless we have more personal information. So here's both the problem and how you get out of it. The problem is when we have associations built up, and notice too, there are other people's associations, right? I've never been present when anyone, well, actually, I did have one boyfriend one time that was arrested, but we'll save that <laughs> for another story. That was the only time I've ever seen anyone arrested, right? So I don't really have any direct knowledge that would say that. But the trouble is, because the media is, is, fill, the media is filling our head often with nonsense, our snap decision would be, <gasps> and, if you, and if you've looked on YouTube, there are even videos where, uh, in fact, supposedly there was a, a, a story with a, a famous African-American actor, Ed, Eddie Murphy, that he got onto an elevator. This is, this, he's famous, right? Who wouldn't recognize him? He gets on the elevator, and the white women on the elevator hold on to their purses. Like Eddie Murphy, right? But it's that this is that negative association idea. Now, how do we get around this? Because this is super important. We do not want to be making those snap decisions. Those snap decisions are what, it, what really get us into trouble, as it should get us into trouble, because they're not based on the reality of things, and they're certainly not based on our own personal experience. So how do we get over these things? We get more personal experience. So if you're having snap judgments around certain people, around certain situations, we need to have more of those people and those situations in our environment so that we can begin building our own personal experience of things. And this also goes to true to things that are maybe a bit scary to you. Does everyone here have a few things that, though you've never done it before, it seems like it would be out of your comfort zone or scary? Okay, like, like skydiving maybe, right? That's always a good example. For me, for whatever reason, it's being up on ladders. In fact, I, I, it's interesting, but I get up high on a ladder and, and it kind of bugs me. Okay, so how is it that we've come up with the idea that some of these things are not for us when we've never done them before? It's because our head gets filled by other people's experience of that. We see movies where, uh, well, I don't know if it's skydiving, we've seen movies or stories of people that have been uh, hurt in some way, or, or maybe someone in our family has done it and it was unpleasant for them, right? And so we begin filing that information away as though, as though it were our experience. But you see, it's not. And the only way we get over that fallacy of snap judgment is to get more experience out of it. Now, I'm not here to suggest we should do things that would be harmful to us. I mean, some things really are just harmful for us. I mean, jumping out of an airplane without a parachute, right? We don't really need to overanalyze that. That is dangerous. But if we're noticing ourselves being inhibited by fears of things that we simply don't have any knowledge about, whether it's people that are different than us, whether it's experiences uh, that are uh, a little edgy or things we haven't done before, it's really the invitation for exploring, not avoiding. 
So this is the way out of this one is exploring and not avoiding. If it's situations and people that you're uncomfortable with, we need to plunge in. We need to be brave. We need to say, my experience will be my experience. I'm not going to go with what the TV is feeding me or what someone in my family said was true for my own best interest. You know, we can feel free to find out on our own. All right, the last, uh, the last of the thinking errors, unfortunately, is a sad one. It's sad because... We're thwarting ourselves so often by thinking we should know an outcome. And this is simply the thinking error that what I want to be true, I will somehow make it be true. And so when something really we wish were true, we zero in on all the information that could possibly lead me to believe that maybe there is the slightest element of truth in that, as unbelievable as it might seem. And meanwhile, there's a whole sea of other information out here that might even tell us the opposite. And so I call it the we want what we want syndrome, right? And isn't there a truth in that? Sometimes we just want things to be the way we want things to be. And so even if we have a, a, a life partner that's abusive, well, we want it to not be that way. And so I'm only too willing to overlook all the signs of abuse or trouble, focusing in on what? The three nice things that they did or the, or, or maybe we're back to the Warren Harding effect. They just, they just look really good, right? And so there is a danger in our thinking of wish fulfillment, of actually looking everywhere but the things that might be important to us to make the decision. Now this one, I don't know how to fix this one, but I know how to watch for the signs of it. If you find yourself arguing with yourself, <laughs> that is usually because your intuition is telling you one thing and you wish it were different. When that happens, Go with your intuition. We are not here to argue ourselves into some position of the way we want things to be. We're here to accept life as it is and then make decisions on the truth of how it's showing up. When we wish things to be different with no means of controlling that, that is the source of most of the pain in our lives. We're saying, in effect, that what God's giving me is not good enough for me. And there's nothing I can do about it. And when we stay in that place long enough, it grinds away at us like the, the worst kind of millstone. We end up being defeated. Our dreams are lost. We're unhappy. And it's all because we were unwilling to listen to what intuition was telling us. And instead hoping for what I want to be true, what I wish would be true, holding that on for dear life, even though all the signs are there saying the opposite, even though even in our heart of hearts, we know the opposite. So I'm going to talk about this one, of course, in terms of a joke, uh, because, uh, because I can. 
And, uh, and as I discovered with the first service, this joke isn't even very funny. So, uh, so there's that. Um, but a physicist, a chemist, and an economist are stranded on a desert island with nothing to eat. After many days, a can of soup washes ashore. The physicist says, let's smash the can open with a rock. The chemist says, no, let's build a fire and heat the can. The expanding contents will force the lid off. And the economist says, wait, wait, we need to model this out on paper more carefully. First, let us assume we have a can opener. <laughs> well, I told you it wasn't that funny. But, but what it illustrates, right, is we want what we want. We see the world through our own lenses. We have that sense of the way things should go or we would wish that they would go, even when it's absurd. Even when a rational person sitting right next to us would say, that's not how we're going to make this work. So I want to recap today our three thinking errors and then also summarize really once again how our gut instincts usually most often are right on and we should go with them. So our thinking errors, first of all, the Warren Harding effect, just because it's pretty doesn't mean it's for you. <laughs> now, let's repeat that back. Just because it's pretty doesn't mean it's for you. All right, that's the Warren Harding effect. Have the feeling you're not gonna forget it. Uh, then the second one was implicit association errors. That's when, even without our awareness, we connect some group of people, some ways of being, some situations, whether it's jumping out of airplanes, whether it's safety on escalators. We simply have gotten information from other people in the media that tend to link two things together. But is it true for you? And that's what you have to decide by becoming more familiar with it. I remember my grandmother would not go on an escalator. She had been told as a child that they were dangerous, and she had reinforced that with pictures of people who were harmed on an escalator, right? I mean, if you think about it, there is the potential for harm there. You get to the top, if you don't step off, over you go, right? I mean, there is the, and she had focused on that, right? Now, never mind that people are killed every day falling down the stairs, right? I mean, you know, think about the reality of this. Escalators compared to the stairs are completely safe, right? It wasn't until she and I spent a whole day at the Valley River Center in Eugene using their escalator about a hundred times that she decided they were just fine. Safe as houses, she concluded at the end. <laughs> but that is how we get over implicit association errors. We have to experience it for ourselves. And then finally, desired outcome. Uh, and that's simply when you wish things were different, and so you're gonna wade through all of the data trying to prove that what you want is the way it is, even when it isn't. And again, our way out of that one is, that inner voice in you will be telling you, this relationship isn't for me. This job isn't where I've meant to be. 
And when you feel that dissonance, when you hear yourself arguing with yourself, you'll know that you're in one of these desired outcome errors going on in your head. Well, I'm going to close today uh, with a quote from Blink and, uh, and a prayer. He says, our first impressions are generated by our experiences and our environment, which means that we can change our first impressions. We can alter the way that we thin slice our, our thinking by changing the experiences that comprise those impressions. If you are a white person, for instance, who would like to treat black, black people as equals in every way, who would like to have a set of association with African Americans that are as positive as those that you have with whites, it requires more than a mental commitment. It requires that you change your life so that you are exposed to minorities on a regular basis and become comfortable with them, familiar with their culture and the many things they have to offer. Taking rapid cognition seriously, acknowledging the incredible power for good and bad that first impressions play in our lives requires that we take active steps to manage and control our exposure. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness. What I know about it, uh, I think about it as all there is. I think about God as, as the infinite supply, the infinite variety, the, the sweetness and the love and the joy present everywhere. This is, this is my idea of God, not, not some guy on a chair somewhere. Truly, everything there is, all the love, all the light, all the joy. And I know it's here right now for me, for all of us. I know that as we accept God into our lives, uh, our ability to discern with ever greater awareness is there for us. That as we, we think about our thinking, as we're aware of what's going on in our head, it, our ability to make better decisions, even snap decisions, is guaranteed. It's, it's part of who we are as we go the route of self-examination, as we create a greater awareness of what's going on in our mind, better decisions await, richer lives are there. The fullness and the ability to really tune in to people and events, the sweetness of life opens its way up to us. And for this, for this I give great thanks. Grateful for the heart and the hands and the minds of the people in this room, of course. Grateful for humanity in its larger context. And so in gratitude, I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. 
Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.